Um, our Bible reading is on page uh, 1036. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured from of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a great crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, "Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear." His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, "The knowledge of the spirit secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand." This is the meaning of the parable: the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way. They are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has, we will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, "Your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to see you." He replied, "My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice." Um, if you didn't know, um, it's great to be with you and open up God's word, and we're we're going to spend some time in this passage that's probably familiar to to many of us,、uh, but it's deeply profound when we dig dig at it a little bit. Uh, so that's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, there's an outline there on page six,、uh, just a little outline if that's helpful for you.、Um, and we're going to、uh, get stuck stuck into it today. Let me pray, and then let's、uh, reflect on this great parable. Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks that we can open up your Word,、uh, and 
Uh, as we do it today, we're actually confronted with the idea that um, we need to listen to the Word. And so we do pray uh, that by your Spirit we'll be convicted and challenged to have uh, deep, strong roots concerned to listening to our King. Amen. Now, have you, as a parent, or can you remember when you were a kid, or if you're a teenager now, or um, even if you're a young adult and you talk to your parents, your parents ever saying, why do you not listen to me? <laughs> that got quite a lot of murmuring going on. I didn't think it was that controversial. What, because, why, why do we say that? Well, I think today, when we think about the passage that we're looking at, is that what you do with a person's words says something about how you think about them. And so, there's two things that makes me uh, reflect on that in my own life. That makes a lot of sense of the constant, what I used to call nagging from my mum and saying, you're not respecting me when you don't listen. Ah, because I didn't do what you wanted. That makes sense. And a more recent one is why I never listen to Jen when she has wide, wise words. When, like, for example, Jen's gone away with the kids to Sydney on a holiday uh, for two weeks uh, to visit family, and I, I'm, I'm not going this time. And, you know, she says, make sure you shut that back door of the house because, you know, every single time our dog, Charlie, a golden retriever, um, goes out, is outside, whenever someone walks out that door, wherever he is in our massive backyard, he will run and double-check to come inside and try and eat all the food. I think the first time I went outside and went into the office, I left the door open. Charlie ate my dinner, a massive bowl of cake, and, and, uh, and a big packet of corn chips, which was going to be for nachos later in the week. And I thought, I heard Jen's words, and I remember saying, yep, yep. But I didn't listen or take them to heart, did I? I didn't really build on them. And I then just projected it onto Charlie in my annoyance with my dog. How do we listen to God? There's a lot to how we think about him. And that's where this parable uh, is going to take us today. There's a few parables. We're going to focus in on, the, on, on just on the, the parable of the sower. And actually, I, I think that's the best name for it. Um, I think it should be the parable of the seed, as we'll see. It'll make sense to you. But as we look at this passage, um, it's good to get the setting and, and, and the context of what's going on. And in the first few verses, we get the context that we've been seeing as we've been travelling through in Luke's Gospel. Um, have that opened up there with me. I don't have um, Bible passages on the, on the screen or anything today. Just grab a Bible. If you still want to grab one, feel free. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the Kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women. So, the context before he speaks is that what he is doing, he's proclaiming, he's speaking. And what is the context of what he speaks about? It is the kingdom of God, which isn't a surprise to us, right? We've been learning through this uh, first few chapters of Luke that Jesus is all about his upside-down kingdom, where the kingdom of God is totally different. It's actually upside-down to all the kingdoms of the world. God's kingdom is way better and totally different. Where the humble, where the poor, where those that are outcasts are exalted. And so the context of what he's going to say in the parables 
should not be a surprise to us that it's the proclaiming of the good news. But also we see that the context is that he has the 12 with him and some women. Now, what's really interesting in Luke, it's almost, it's a little bit of an aside, but it's an important aside, I think, is that Luke goes out of his way in the gospel to keep bringing up how significant the women are in the, in the whole um, narrative of Jesus' uh, ministry. He, he, Luke actually does it, I think, uh, 11 times he points out the women's role, that they're there, that they're contributing to the ministry, that they're doing all of these things that is unique to his gospel to make the point that Jesus' kingdom is very different to even how people uh, uh, regarded women in, in society then. The gospel impact was far-reaching and the women had significantly contrib- contributed. We see in verse 3, the women were helping to support them out of their own means. And they came from all different backgrounds, um, where Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. In verse 2, Joanna um, was probably a little bit more well-off, being um, the manager of Herod's household, and many others. God, God is bringing in his kingdom, Jesus is coming, and everything's being turned upside down. So something that would be considered embarrassing is something that is pointed out as significant in Luke's Gospel. So as Jesus comes along uh, to this moment, he wants to uh, speak to them in parables. And the question is probably useful for us to ask, while we may be familiar with the whole parables, they're often used in kids' stories and all these kind of things, what is a parable? How do we read them? The challenge is, I don't know if when we were had, uh, Gabby read the passage for, for us where you saw, there's that little bit in between the, the parable and the explanation where Jesus gets a little bit odd and it's kind of hard to understand, where ears to ear, hear and all of that kind of, of stuff that we'll look at a bit later. How do we think about what parables are? Well, let me just give you a little framework to think about them. Um, I think what we need to see about parables, as we see in the context of uh, the beginning of this one, is they're about the kingdom of God. Overwhelmingly, when Jesus talks in parables, he's talking about the thing that is very different to what uh, all the other kingdoms are like and he's wanting to explain what God's eternal rule is like. And so, parables are using different life scenarios. Like, you know, we just read the seed being thrown, it's a life scenario, someone farming in a simple way to relate to something significant about the eternal kingdom of God. And so parables are often about how, they, how you belong in the kingdom, what, what it's like, the, the king and what, who he is or the character of the kingdom. What's significant is, and sometimes when we can get in trouble with parables, we can think that when we read them, we've got to identify every single inch of the parable to identify as something. Um, kind of like how Jesus has done the parable of the sower, he's done that for us in a way in saying, the seed is this, the path is this. But when we read parables in general, we don't need to necessarily find all of those kind of allegories all the way through. Um, Who's read Narnia? Who loves Narnia? It's pretty great, right? That's kind of like an allegory where everything can be aligned up to everything. Parables don't, as a rule, function purposely like that. The way Jesus operates with parables is to teach us about the kingdom and then in a little while we'll engage with uh, what... um, uh, what, what he meant by saying that they're secret and 
those who have ears to hear and all that kind of stuff to understand them a bit more. So that framework, let's get into this parable of the sower um, and, and think about it a bit more. What's it about? Verse 5, a farmer went out to seed, uh, went out to sow his seed. Very simple, it's not hard, it's not complex, there's no machinery, it's just a farmer doing a basic thing of seeds that grow, throwing them on the ground so that they will bring crops. Very simple. What's it mean? Well, we see um, in the explanation, in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. So what we're seeing is the word of God is what this whole parable is about. The whole parable is about understanding how we receive God's very words. The seed is what God thinks. It's his revelation. It's why it's so important. Jesus is saying, this is how you receive the kingdom of God. The words equal understanding the kingdom. And in this context, Jesus is talking about what happens to his ministry as he proclaims the word and it goes out. People are going to receive it in different ways and Jesus is under no illusions that people are going to interact with it very, very differently. And so he explains what that's like. Let's have a look. Let's keep remembering how we listen says something about how we think about a person. Verse 5 uh, at the end there, some fell along the path it was trampled on. So, just thrown on the path, it's trampled on, what's going to be the result of that? It's not going to do anything. They're not going to grow. What does it mean? Well, Jesus says in verse 12, those along the paths are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. As we reflect upon this, first and foremost, what Jesus is saying is there is a spiritual battle and there is an enemy. He's identified the enemy very clearly, the one opposed to him, the accuser who was there from the very beginning and who wants to destroy the word. And so when we think about spiritual battle, we don't think about Hollywood and demons or in a Christian context, uh, exorcisms and all these kind of big kind of supernatural moments not to deny that that's a reality the supernatural but at the core the supernatural battle Jesus is saying is Satan wanting to take away the word the the super the spiritual battle is plain that is people not receiving God talking about the kingdom. That is what the devil wants to have happen. You see there, he comes and he takes away the word because the word is the message of the kingdom and if you don't have the kingdom, you can't be with God and so that's where the real battle lies. And where is he taking it from? You see it there? From their hearts. And when we're talking about hearts, um, if you remember, we did, we did a, a series on this uh, 
last last year, but the heart does not just mean the, the all the little feelings and emotional side of things. The heart, they understand, is your intellect, your thinking, your emotion, your choices. That is, the devil comes and takes away your desire to listen to the word and therefore understand it and to be emo- emotionally affected by it and to make choices based on it. It's a spiritual battle about words first and foremost. The plane is where the spiritual battle really lies. That is why any church that does not have the word of God at the very beating heart of its uh, community is letting Satan get a foot in, giving him a chance of victory. Because that's his intention, to take the word away. So if we're ashamed of the word, we're saying we want to be with Satan a bit more because he wants it to be taken away. It's not we have to fight demons on the cold face and all these kind of things. It's just quite simply saying God has given us his revelation and that is what we embrace. We don't want it to be taken away. The public reading of Scripture doing it together as God's people, doing it ourselves, doing it in community groups, is the thing out of everything else flows. Why do you come to Grove? Because you want to be where good music is, because you want to make sure as a church that prays, that is spirit-filled in whatever way you think, that we have great programs around the outside of it, that all these other things are happening good. Well, first and foremost... God's word is needing to be proclaimed and then everything else flows out of that. Praising God and proclaiming his name comes out of the word. Responding in prayer after hearing from him. How could you not? And we could go on and on. You see, we rely on prayer in the Bible as one of the things we say um, and that's because everything else comes from it. Because that's God revealing it to us. And if that's where everything comes from, does it make sense that that's where the enemy wants to take the battle? He does not want you to read your Bible. He wants to take it away from you. Or at least just leave it on your bookshelf. Or an app on your phone that you never open. That would mean the seed has just gone onto the path. Jesus wants to highlight a bit further. It's not just that kind of spiritual battle. In verse 6, he talks about the rocks. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Well, what's that mean? Well, Jesus says in verse 13, those on the rocky grounds are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, it's great, but they have no root. They believe for a while but in the time of testing, they will fall away. It sounds great. Maybe it scratches an itch that I've been wanting to have scratched in my life for so long. But the itch gets bigger and it can no longer manage it. Or I have other itches now. And there's no foundation. The roots are like... um, 
uh, when we have summer in Adelaide, if you don't water those plants, you're buying new plants the next season, right? Because the roots just shrivel and die. You get them from the nursery and they're beautiful. Great joy. But with no foundation, with no care and tending, the roots wither and then we see what happens to the plants. And it happens very quickly, doesn't it? I think this is a little bit like, let me give you an example of what this could be like. One of the fundamental things I think about, uh, one of the key things about uh, church is that it should be a place where people feel like they can belong. And I hope that those of you who come to Grove and it is your church, you feel like you belong here and that you can more and more. It's a key thing that we want. We want people to really feel like they're a part of this church community. But if you come into a church community with great joy and excitement because you felt a bit outside for whatever reason, because that's how we do feel. We're built to want to belong to people. But you have this desire to feel belong, that you belong in a church. And it happens for a while and it's a great community. But then tragedy strikes that community for whatever reason and it falls into heartache and division and pain. Brothers and sisters, that's a reality of churches sometimes. as as hard as that is. If your primary reason for being in a church community is not the Word of God, but a need for belonging, you're probably in danger of being on rocky ground, aren't you? Because the belonging in that context is gone. And it's just caused heartache and people are divided. It shouldn't be that way, but when it happens... What really needs to be the case is to deal with that is a solid grounding. That when there's a time of testing, you can seek God, find belonging somewhere else, but have the foundation that God does not leave you. The kingdom of God is not about the community just existing here for a while, but this is just us together waiting for God's eternal kingdom. That if you're rooted in God's word, the seed, you will remember Revelation 21 where all eternity is in praise and joy and you belong to God with God. You can get over those immensely painful hard times. But if you don't have that grounding, you're like uh, the root. Well, no, sorry, you have no root. It was good for a while but because the priority wasn't right of God's word, it disappears. And then we get the thorns in verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. This is, this is I think, in many ways, maybe for um, a lot of us, if I was to guess, maybe this is the one for a lot of us is challenging because we almost can be blind to the fact there are thorns around us. How does Jesus explain it to us in verse 14? The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. See the challenge there? It's not as if the word has not been significant and you haven't heard it. 
but your life, the, the stresses of life, and they're real, aren't they? There's no one here who does not have significant stresses in your life that you've got to deal with because that is the world that we live in. And we can all be affected by it in all sorts of different ways. It can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be um, uh, just overwhelming. And when these things happen, we can push God aside. We, we forget to hear what he has to say to deal with those moments because we're so, we're kind of free-falling. When you've got so many things to get done, you don't have time to hear the word anymore. And when things are good, I'll, I'll go to the Bible study I can when it's good or I'll, I'll come to church when it's good. But when things fall apart, you retreat. Not only is it the worries of life, but the problem of the Western world without a shadow of a doubt is our desires for riches and pleasures. The things that we get choke us. I have to be aware that my golf clubs could bend and choke me and stop me breathing if I let them. You know I like golf. It's great. But if I obsess over it that I abandon God and the Word or read His Word less because I have to play golf, I might as well get the golf club, bend it and put it around my neck and choke myself. What good things has God given you that can do that to you? And then there's riches and pleasures that aren't good. They may feel good, they may be enjoyable here, but we know that if we hear the word, they're not pleasing to God. And the more and more we live that way, the more and more we're choking ourselves. And the more and more we put ourselves in danger to stop hearing completely. Maybe it's worthwhile you reflecting on that, that one even more so. How do we receive God's word? It says a lot about how we think of him. And then we get verse 8. Have a look at verse 8 with me. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. This is the one. This is the one that Jesus is saying is how you hear God's word. This is authentic hearing. Verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Good soil is where these seeds land. Where to be good soil in that the idea is we take on God's word and we let it grow in us. It stands for those with a noble and good heart. 
It stands for those who are rightly seeking God's ways and their heart is directed towards God. That is, that they want to hear it, understand it and be transformed by it. Their whole being is what this heart is. A good heart is wanting to think, feel and have their choices shaped by God's way. How do you do that? With an unswerving to devotion to hearing it and to wanting to retain it. I reckon one of the things we're losing more and more, I've said this other times, is the ability to memorise things. We just don't do it like we used to. Part of our new technological age where we can just pull up everything quickly. I can't remember, I'll just look it up. Whereas God's Word isn't something that we should just go about, oh, what was that? We should seek to want to retain it, to have it in us and to remember it. We should desperately want to hear God's Word. We should be saturated by it. So we can not just dabble with it, but persevere in it. That is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as the kingdom of God comes, those who receive it, really, there's no other way of saying, are obsessed by it. The twelve and those following, uh, the, and the women who were following him, who were giving all their means to help, were learning on the ground that that is how they're to think. And we're here, 2,000 odd years later, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, hearing we need to be obsessed about hearing about Jesus' death and resurrection for us and how Genesis all the way through to Revelation reveals to us in great beauty and depth what that means. And when we do that, instead of being choked, instead of being trampled on, instead of Instead of having no root, we produce a crop. In the parable, a hundred times more than was sown. Do you have a desire to be useful? I know you do. Whether you want to be useful at work and you want to contribute, where you want to be useful to your friends, to help out in your family, we want to be useful. There is nothing more useful, nothing more important than producing a godly crop. And if you think you're useless, if you seek to hear God's word and live by it, seek to share it, seek to be um, turned into Christ's likeness more and more, you are producing a crop that is far more useful than meeting your KPIs at work. I wonder whether we need to sit and constantly, not just one Sunday, reflect on, do we care that much about hearing from Jesus? In many ways, this parable was, um, uh, is a great example of why we sit out at the beginning of the year to read the Bible in a year together. It's in the booklets, this month's readings and, and all those things and trying to do it in a way that really helps us retain it, which I think those videos help in a way, but more important than the videos is just sitting there and reflecting on God's Word 
and reading it, not needing to understand it all. You read Leviticus the first time, you've got no idea what's going on, but the point is you start. (laughs) You love it because it's God speaking to you. And even if we've got no understanding and context to it, He has given us His Word so that we can grow and produce in it. And sometimes... It's hard to see how it helps us produce a crop as we're reading it. When you read Joshua and as we're up to, and we're going to look at Joshua in term three, it's pretty dark. (laughs) There's some pretty dark moments if you've been reading Joshua this week. What is God telling us? It's getting us back to Jesus, but what, what is it telling us? Well, we persevere and that will produce a crop. How do people receive these words? How do we understand parables? Well, in between the parable and its meaning, Jesus says um, uh, in verse 8, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, yeah, your ears are how you hear. It's kind of, okay. So then his disciples asked him what the parable meant. And before he went through the explanation that we have just looked at, he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables. Most important words probably in this section, so that. What are parables about the kingdom of God and why is he talking in this way? Well, he's talking this way because, so that, those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. What's going on? Doesn't make sense. I thought parables were supposed to be great kids' stories that we can explain life's ways in a simple, accessible way. And Jesus has just told them, no, 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 parables are so that people won't get it. Hang on. What's going on? Well, Jesus is quoting uh, a part in Isaiah chapter 6. And what he's wanting them to see is that In Isaiah chapter 6, God has had enough of people's being like the other three uh, grounds and not the good soil. His people continually, continually rejected God's way that he'd given his beautiful relationship with him in Isaiah, God's people, hundreds of years earlier. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to flick there, you can. But let me just read to you and and show you um, the context of why Jesus said these kind of strange words. Context is Isaiah is being given the commission to go out and, it's, and, and in his beautiful way the atonement of, of, of his uh, sins being dealt with um, through a, an amazing interaction uh, uh, with the seraphim and he's going to go and he says uh, uh, I will go after God asks him and then in verse 9 God says to Isaiah go and tell the people okay so go tell them the message about how I love them and how you need to follow me no be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What's God saying? He's saying, I've had enough of my people not listening to me. They have continually turned from me i in my grace given them this covenant in my grace i continually ask them to turn back to me and repent and they are not doing it and so you go on isaiah and say 
I'm done. There is time now for them to hear. You will not hear and understand because you, you are not in relationship with me. You're in rebellion. And, and how long is this going to go on for? Well, verse 11, uh, that was the question that uh, Isaiah asked. And God answered, until the cities lie in ruin and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. That is, God is saying, there is time for right judgment and it is now because the people have abandoned me. But it's important to note how serious it is, but that's a bit of hyperbole as well. It's not a complete wipeout. It can't be because when we read on, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land everything's not getting wiped out because there will be a holy seed, Jesus himself. If we had time, we'd go through how that is a reference to the promise of God's king coming in the, in the line of David who's going to come up out of Israel and here, a holy seed. A holy seed who, we get this parable and we're talking about a seed, the word of God and Jesus himself is God's revelation to us. There is hope. But the reality is Jesus speaks in parables as a way of those who are just in constant rebellion, kind of hearing them because they've physically heard them, but their hearts have turned. And so the reality is, do we want to engage with God his way? As we think about it, the question is for all of us, whether you're not sure what you think of God or whether you're a follower of Jesus day in, day out, which seed are you? Or you could just choose to be, you know what, I don't even want to hear it all and I'll just completely be ignorant of it all. Or, as we see today, we could see that the King is speaking. And he's wanting you to hear how are you going to take his words. Because all other ways other than being totally convicted by what he says and being shaped by it are just not good enough. It's not okay to have Jesus as some kind of nice God figure and include him with other gods or other spiritual ways. Because Jesus has come and has said, you need to take on my words exactly. It's not okay to say, I'll believe in my mind that God is king and that Jesus died on the cross for me, but I'm not going to let it shape my life. I'm not going to be Jesus-shaped in any way, even just subconsciously you think that way. Or I'm going to have pockets where I'll, I'll hear the word of God, I'll hear it in how other people should interact, but... There are things that I want to just keep to myself. A decision does need to be made. I think that's why Jesus, before he heads to Jerusalem and heads to the cross, we get this parable in Luke to say, if you're truly going to get the cross, you've truly got to commit to hearing. 
And we see it, it took um, after the cross uh, when the, uh, the Spirit came in Acts for the, the uh, disciples to truly understand it. Do you want to have Jesus as your King? That's a question you need to answer, every one of us. You can answer yes, well then go back to thinking about the good soil. You can answer no, I'm going to live in rebellion to him. And you could answer, I still need to wrestle with it because I don't understand some things, but I want to wrestle with his word rightly to come up with what I think. And I'd encourage you to continue to do that. And that's why we're here at Grave. I say that all the time. We want people to engage with God's word and be challenged by it. No matter where you're currently at. And I want us to kind of finish today by realising the importance of the seed, the importance of the word. Hearing and retaining. The king wants you to keep hearing his word. He doesn't want you just to kind of go, yeah, okay, I'll take the Bible and I'm not a big reader, so I'll just take it on Sundays when I speak um, or Jack speaks or Peter or a guest coming. Um, And we have a guest next week, Scott Westwood, the assistant minister at Trinity Northeast is coming um, and it'd be great to to meet him and to have him speak. But I'm just going to do that. Or... Do you want to take to heart the, the idea that the king is speaking to you and how you um, interact with that is how you perceive him? We need to persevere. I've been amazed that um, this year, trying to read the Bible, this is a, my, my personal testimony of how things are, when you read, the, when you read um, other parts of the Bible as we read in the, the Bible um, in a year, um, when you're looking at a totally other part of it, how it brings it a lot to, to life to you. Even if it's not directly related, you're getting the bigger picture of how everything fits together. It's just really, really helpful. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you see all these amazing links and understand how deep it is. Or... We could choose to be so arrogant to say, I've read the gospel message, I believe that Jesus died for me. It's the same thing over and over again. Every Sunday you say, believe in Jesus. I don't need to hear it over and over again. I'm going to be arrogant enough to say, I know everything that it says. Well, I've met some extraordinarily smart people who make me look like an infant when it comes to Bible knowledge. The ones that I have the deepest respect for are the ones who open it up and are constantly going back to it and reading it with people who don't necessarily know it that well and they're amazed by it themselves as if they're reading it for the first time. Even though, if they're being honest, they can tell you all the details of it in all its um, intricacies because God has gifted them that way. Maybe they're teaching it. That's the mindset that we should have. Good soil means you're devoted. Unswerving to devotion to God's word. If you struggle with your Bible reading, guess what? Say hello to the person next to you. Why is that the case? 
Why do you reckon it might be part of the reason why that's the case from what we've looked at today? Because someone wants to take it away from you. <laughs> and so don't think that the spiritual battles are things out, out there. Think that the moment when you go, I don't want to read the Bible anymore, say to God, you little ripper. Unswerving devotion. We shouldn't have a shallow heart to God's word. If you come to Grove because you like something else or because you liked my preaching for some reason, that'd be odd to me, but if you liked my preaching for some reason and that was the reason you came or you go to all the churches you go to is just because you like the hear preaching or you listen to all these sermons online because it is really witty, brilliant preachers and that is, that is your basis for thinking about God's word. But when someone else preaches and you're thinking, oh, they're a bit boring, they're a bit shallow, or I don't get it, if they're not speaking heresy, is God, God's word being open? Are you just as committed to hearing it? There's no doubt some weeks I've probably bored you to tears. I may be doing it right now. <laughs> but the one thing I'm pretty certain about today is that what you're hearing is God saying you need to trust in his word. My brilliance in speaking that to you is irrelevant to your heart being pierced by that. Do you get that point? The problem of worrying about how it's presented to us is not your problem. That's my problem. That I need to constantly try and help you and engage with you. But you sit, when we're together, and engage with God and his word, regardless of how well um, the preacher goes week in, week out. And lastly... Are you willing to change? I think if we go back to the good soil, and it says, and Jesus explains it and says, who hear it and retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. That is, you produce a crop by becoming (laughs) more like Christ, by being compelled by the love of Christ to share the gospel, by changing your character. If you're not willing to do something that is profoundly hard to do, change, because we don't like change often, are you truly listening to the King? Where can you change when you're confronted with the Word? Every time you engage with it. This is an extraordinary parable. Because we're hearing our king say, I want you to listen to me. And he's the king. He could just say, listen to me, right? I'm the king. Do what I say. But let me open up to finish how our king interacts with us. Let me just go to Luke 8. And he says, let me read to you um, verse, eight, verse 18. In the, the, I'll read 16 to 18, the other parable after. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a, in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully. Our king isn't just bossing us around, demanding our allegiance. 
he graciously and lovingly, after he's gone to the cross and died for us, is saying to us, carefully listen to me. He wants you to lovingly engage with him as he has given everything up for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit will convict our hearts, our minds, our whole being to be obsessed about understanding who you are so that we can honour you as our King. Amen.